You know, the world right now is a really unsettled place. And for such a time as this, women play a most important role in history as peacemakers. The goal of Ladies of Liberty Sound Off is to affect the lives of women in an empowering way through discussion of important issues of the day. So, are you ready? The Ladies of Liberty are ready to sound off. Well, big election news. Chesso Bodine is out in San Francisco as the district attorney. And all I can say is hallelujah. And I thank goodness that the people in San Francisco came to their senses and decided that they did not like this, um, this no punishment for crime attitude of Chesa Bodine, and they voted him out. I, I think that this has to be an indicator of what's going to happen across the country. I, I really feel like we're going to start to see a lot more revolt against these these progressive uh, district attorneys because I, people are fed up. I mean, how much how many more times can you watch a group of people run into a Sephora and clear out the shelves and all the Walgreens in San Francisco are closing out. I mean, how many, how much more can pe- are people going to take? I don't care how progressive you are. Nobody wants that kind of crime. Yeah. I think the, the rage is, is clearly on display. People have had enough. Um, I'm so curious. Um, first of all, I don't know what the process is for replacing him. Who decides? Is there another election? Oh. I actually didn't follow how it happens. And then I guess my concern is um, that those who funded and installed Chester Boudin in the first place, namely George Soros and others like him, you know, what tricks are up their sleeve next to make sure that the next person is equally crazy or that they um, ramp up their activities in other cities. And so is this, is this an indicator that the people have spoken, yes, but is it also kind of a the beginning of, of the full-fledged war that, that might happen? Because the, the guys on the left are not just going to full tent and close up shop, are they? Rebecca, to your question about who picks his replacement now, it is the San Francisco mayor, London Breed. That's the person who's going to be picking. As far as will, will the crazies double down? Yes. <laughs> um, and I think that George Soros will probably throw more money at this. But I, you know, it could be a wave because people are tired of this. San Francisco was, as you both know, a beautiful city. And you can't even walk down the street there now. People are tired of this. They don't want this. So I'm hoping that this is a precursor to George Gascon in Los Angeles getting recalled as well. You know, I think they still have a number of signatures to get and a very short time to get them. I think it's they have about a month left in the signature process in Los Angeles. So people need to get in and sign that that petition so that they can get uh, the recall on the ballot. That would be really important. But I think it's just really, really important. That, that we start looking at these things and get these, these uh, total liberal left-wing DAs out. Because if you look at the statistics day after day after day of the crimes that are committed, and I'll just give you one right now that, that happened just very recently where a man went into the New York subway station. I'm sure that you've both seen it. And he grabbed a 51 or 52-year-old woman and threw her on the subway 
rail tracks. He was caught. His record is a mile long. Why was he not in prison for any of those previous violations? And this is the problem that that the rise in crime and the rise in the severity of crimes against innocent victims who are just minding their own business is worse than I've ever seen it in my life. And every one of those people have records that should have put them away. That's the problem that people are getting tired of. Well, what's scary about it is that you have the mayor of New York City who is claiming, he he basically came out and said that New York City is a laughingstock in terms of a criminal justice system. And Alvin Bragg, who is the district attorney, is he he's doubling down on that. He doesn't think that there's a problem whatsoever. And he's busy dodging questions about it. And just, you know, he doesn't care that people of New York are terrified of becoming victims of, of violent crime. And there, I don't see an end in sight in, in New York City either, because since there are no recall elections in New York, you know, the governor of New York would have to um, would have to would have to ask Bragg to step down. But I don't see that happening either. She's kind of she's right in there with him. So we've got a real problem in New York. Yeah, I, you know, I also was just looking as you were talking at, at, at the procedures and it seems that the mayor of San Francisco, just to go back to San Francisco, um, installs a temporary district attorney until November when citizens get to vote. Um, yes. So it'll be interesting to see, right, who the who the mayor picks. Um, and I think that I read that the proposition also was defeated that would have prevented whoever the mayor chooses from running again in November. So that person could run in November. Um, and therefore, I would imagine that the mayor of San Francisco would want to choose somebody sane um, because you wouldn't want to have another recall. That would be a big you know, hit against the, the mayor's political power, too. So I guess there's some hope that the next person uh, that, that that's sort of the DA of San Francisco would at least be rational on these issues. And so that's something. And I think there's also something to. Um, just to go back to what this means for other DAs and just generally for Americans who I think have not been particularly, have not been feeling particularly good about elections and their ability to sort of leverage the democratic process to enforce their will as the people. Um, This election, even in a small way, um, sort of reminds people that, you know, voting matters and that you can get things done still, um, in spite of, you know, the great efforts to sort of muddy the waters. Um, and it also just, just because I have to always say the pessimistic thing, um, you know, it, it was not, it was a a definitive loss. It was 60, 40%. Um, but who are the 40% of San Franciscans who wanted to keep this man? You know, we talk about how people are enraged and fed up, but 40% of them weren't which I find depressing. You know, I I read that it is a a young group in San Francisco that is trying to keep him or was trying to keep Chesa Bodine in. They say that they're fighting for the the life of San Francisco. Really? I mean, what fights for our life is people that put people in prison and keep them there so that they can't re-victimize other people. You know, um, 
there, there just are so many problems in San Francisco and it, it just has turned from a beautiful place to, I mean, just somewhere that you don't want to go. And I have to say the same about New York city. I love New York city. I have gone there since I was a little kid very often. And I won't go just right now because I would be afraid to be walking down the street. And I, this is completely due to the defund the police, the progressive uh, left district attorneys like Bragg, these people that are not prosecuting uh, crimes that are letting people right back on the street, the no bail system. It's, it's just creating chaos for the average person in every big city. I think that, um, you know, just kind of looking at the people that uh, London Breed is potentially thinking about, it seems like most of them are, were very strong voices in the recall effort, um, which is promising. So it's promising. I, you can only hope that, you know, somebody is going to come in very tough on crime um, and, and, and take this, take the city back because, I think San Francisco will be a bellwether in terms of what goes on in New York and also what goes on in LA and some of the other, you know, Chicago for sure should be on the, hopefully Chicago is on the lookout as well. Um, but I think that, I think that for sure, putting people behind bars, getting tough on criminals, you know, they've got to do a, they've got a huge problem with the fentanyl in San Francisco. They've got a huge problem with, you know, drugs and, and, you know, violent crime, they've got to be tough on the criminals. There's no other way around that. And homelessness. And, you know, speaking of the drugs, Elisa, there, there are moms there that are heartbroken because their kids are addicted to drugs. They're out on the street and San Francisco has given them a place that they can freely take their drugs. And a number of people have died doing just that in those centers that are city funded. So there, there's no, even one, one of the uh, fentanyl users and the mom is just sure that her son is going to die at some point, And she's probably right. Um, but he said himself, there's no incentive for me to get off drugs here. So the centers, even though he is a drug addict and goes to the centers, he says, they're not a good thing to have. Uh, and, and I agree. What, what these progressive district attorneys are doing and saying and have been saying is that, you know, there's this school to prison mentality and that we are putting in prison an inordinate amount of uh, minorities. So they want to change the system. I look at it a different way. I look at it that this is a behavioral issue. It's not an issue of minorities or color. It's a behavioral issue. If more crimes are committed by minorities in an area, then more minorities should go to jail. And if it's not minorities, it should be whoever it is. This is behavior, it's not color. And I'm really frustrated with that argument with race being thrown into everything because it's not about race. It is about the behavior and the crime that they committed, period. Well, that, that I think true. it's also, sorry. Go, go ahead, ahead, Rebecca. No, I was just going to say that I, you know, I, what I find really interesting is, is that whatever Chessa Boudin or any of them think is the cause of crime or the social sort of um, 
impetus for this kind of behavior, whatever their theories of, of criminality are, I just find them sort of irrelevant. Um, their job as district attorney is to enforce the laws of the state, not to, you know, social engineer or come up with their, or in Chess's Boudin's case, he just literally refused to enforce the laws that he didn't like. He may have had in his mind very valid reasons for disliking them. Maybe he really believes it's school to prison pipeline. Maybe he believes there's deep-seated racism, whatever he believes. But it just strikes me as so fundamentally odd that he thought that what he believed granted him the right to ignore the law and not do the job he was hired to do. If he really felt so strongly about those issues, it would have been appropriate for him to either become a, an activist or the head of an NGO or to try and change the laws so that the new DA could enact the laws that he thought were more fair. But never was it on the menu for a DA to decide, well, I'm just not going to enforce that one because I don't like it. Right. And there's something very fundamental about what's happening, I think, across the country where people think that laws are, you know, sort of a menu of options, not not a sort of list of parameters. I, I just I think that we have to kind of reorient people around um, there's law in this country. And if you're going to take on a, a position like district attorney, um, you're bound by them, whether you like them or not. And if you don't like them, you either have to resign, suck it up or try and change them. But you know, ignoring them is not an option. Right. I think that's what's going on as well with Alvin Bragg in New York. Um, but what I was going to say back to what you were talking about, Linda, it doesn't matter what race you are. If you commit the crime, you commit the crime. You know, they look at it as, okay, 90% of the crime. I don't, I'm not even sure what the exact percentage is, but let's just take a look for a second at the black on black crime. Okay. There's an enormous amount of, of crime in the black community, but that doesn't have anything to do with being racist. It's got nothing at all to do with being racist. The black people are committing crimes on other black people. Okay. So I think it's a deeper, it's, it's, of course it has nothing to do with race, but what does it have to do with? Is there some social structure that, that mean that makes those percentages so much higher? What is going on or what is lacking or what is the impetus behind that sort, those sorts of numbers? And, you know, it's, of course we have to deal with the crime and of course they need to be put behind bars. And, you know, that goes without saying, but if they really want to solve that issue, maybe it's time to, to take a deeper look at what's going on in those communities and come up with solutions at the start of it. Maybe go back to the families, maybe go back to the schools, maybe go back to whatever it is, whatever it is. I think they need to take a look at that. And that's where they, they need to start as opposed to, you know, just, just saying, well, we're going to let everybody out of, out of prison because, you know, because they're black and because that's racist. Of course it's not. There are microbes in the air and they're in your house and the Genesis fogger is the solution. This is a mobile fogger that uses a unique technology to give a non-toxic dry mist to cleanse the air and cleanse your rooms of microbes, whether they be bacterial, fungal, or viral, including SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. So go to the Genesis Fogger website and use the promo code OUTLOUD for a discount on your purchase of the model and get going with a cleaner house 
as there could be more microbes on the way. We're concerned about not only the current pandemic, but future ones. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Welcome back to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. And I'd like to introduce our host today. Today we have uh, Elisa Akrangold. And Elisa, in her former life, was a television producer for shows such as Good Morning America Sunday and uh, others that you would know the name of. Today, in her current life, she is a wife, a mom, and she is a weight loss coach and probably one of the best I have ever known. Uh, she certainly helped my husband and I and many friends of ours as well. I uh, also want to introduce Rebecca Sugar. Rebecca is a columnist for the New York Sun, and she writes for, for other publications as well. Rebecca has an article out in the New York Sun that was published called This Woman is Weary of Women's Groups. And that's what I want to talk about, Rebecca, but I'll be right back with you. Let me just tell people who I am. I'm Linda Martinelli. I'm a business owner, and I am also the host right here on America Out Loud of Talking While Married, along with my husband, Dr. Ron Martinelli, a forensic criminologist. And we talk with each other every evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So please join us there. Rebecca, you are tired of women's groups. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I am aware of the irony of saying that on a women's radio show, but hey, we're not a group. <laughs> we're not a group. Right. I, yeah, I, I felt this way for a long time. I'm invited as I'm sure you must be and Elisa and like so many of, of the women who are listening to this invited to a lot of women's groups. They're pretty much in fashion in every sector. Um, and I, my, my initial reaction when I'm invited is usually just no, right? And largely because um, A, I never see the value or purpose of the group to which I'm being invited being organized around women, right? It either sort of signifies that they are inviting you to come and discuss what they call women's issues, which to me um, are largely a long list of issues that I don't feel qualified to talk about simply by virtue of the fact that I'm a woman meaning I don't really know a lot about childhood education or even women's health, which is such a broad category. Um, you know, I think I'm supposed to react instinctively to breast cancer, um, but actually kidney cancer was a bigger factor in my family than breast cancer. So all of these sort of um, women's issues that are sort of categorized that way don't necessarily speak to me as a woman. I, I don't feel um, highly qualified to speak to all of those things. Um, and, and there's some kind of sense I have that it's pandering, right? Either they're organized around the idea that women who have historically been marginalized or victimized 
need some the safety uh, of a woman's group to feel that they can express themselves freely or talk about politics freely or social issues freely because they wouldn't do so in front of men or would feel silenced in front of men. Um, I don't feel that way at all. I don't feel inhibited speaking about anything in front of men. I don't feel victimized or marginalized. So I don't feel that I need to speak about these things only in the company of other women. Or I think they're simply virtue signals. They're, they're mechanisms that companies use to sort of demonstrate that they have a sensitivity. Um, and so we love women. And so therefore you should love my shoe line or something like that. Or you know, if you're Netflix, We've organized all of these movies around women's voices as though um, I would choose as a woman to watch a movie based on whether the gender of the director. I, I choose movies based on what looks interesting. Um, so I just don't like the model. I, I think it's anachronistic. I think it's sort of, uh, it doesn't speak to me personally. And I think it's, it's slightly uh, pandering. Um, so I just avoid them. And I, I sort of tell the story in the article of this funny uh, moment I had with politicians are famous for this, right? They love identity politics and um, you're supposed to vote for women because they're women, you're supposed to, all that. Um, a friend of mine had been hosting um, Amy Klobuchar when she was running in the Democratic primaries in the 2020 um, primaries. And, and uh, I was probably not gonna vote for her, but I, I thought I wanted to come and listen. What did you have to say? And it was a breakfast. and. There were maybe 15 people around the table. It was a rainy, miserable day. And um, I was one of two women at the table. The other one was the mother of the host. So it was basically men and me. And uh, Klobuchar comes in and her hair is all wet from the, from the rain and she's rushing. And she kind of looks at me and gives me that sort of nod and sort of in that smarmy poli political way. Um, she sort of makes a female bonding joke about hair, right? Like, oh, sorry, I'm late. You know, I had to run and comb my hair because you know how we women are with humidity in our hair, like wink, wink, nod, nod. And I thought, you know, I do actually, my hair <laughs> reacts to the humidity and it looks terrible. And so I get it, but um, I hope you don't, like in my head, I was sort of saying, you know, I hope you don't think that you've just bonded with me and that therefore you won my vote because we're women sharing a bad hair moment. Um, and I think that kind of thing happens a lot. And I think it's just silly and time for us to Put it behind us. It doesn't work on me. I know a lot of women for whom it doesn't work. Um, and with a nod to the fact that not that long ago, uh, women needed to band together and there were real discrimination issues that they had to deal with and women needed to support one another. And I completely understand that and value it and respect it and I'm grateful for it. Um, but that's not my experience today. And I don't feel I need to live in the past. And I'm very happy that someone named Amy can run for president. That's a good thing. Um, but I won't vote for her because her name is Amy. And I think um, women's groups need, a, need to be looked at, re-looked at. The whole, it's almost like the whole reason that women's groups were formed was, or, or you know, are sort of bubbling to the top is because they felt, women felt like they were excluded or discriminated against by men or they wouldn't they weren't given the same voice that a man had and just the very nature of what what is going on with the women's groups is doing the exact same thing to men as they felt was being done to them and i agree with i agree with the fact i agree with you 100% rebecca i mean i i look at all of this you know just as an example okay my son 
is doing an internship this, this summer in the city. Out of 230 interns, they took 65% women and they made it a point to tell all of the interns in a group in their orientation that 65% of the interns this summer were hired because they were women. They didn't necessarily say they were hired because they were women, but they made it a point that everybody should know that 65% of them are women. Why does it, why does being a woman make you more qualified to do a, a job, whether it be an internship or, you know, a, a CEO or the president of the United States for that matter, being a woman makes you no more qualified. I look at the, the uh, press secretary of the white house right now, and I'm horrified that she got up and said, you know, I'm, I'm black. I'm a woman. I'm gay. I'm an immigrant. I'm, you know, she's checked every box. And so all of a sudden that makes her qualified for that job completely agree with what you're saying. And I just think that it, the whole, the whole notion of women's groups sort of adds into um, what's the void, the, you know, the, the, the virtue signaling that's going on in the country right now. Oh, you two put it so well. I, I don't have a lot to add, but I have to add some little stories. So uh, agreeing with everything that you've both said, uh, I get invited to speak at a lot of women's groups or to be part of them. And you know, I used to do some speaking for, in my industry for women in my industry because the, the whole premise being that women need to have these special groups. The men didn't, but the women did. So in, in the advertising specialty industry, uh, I would do some speaking and talk about you know, what it takes to get a business going and the things that you, you have to do. I've never been a proponent of saying, and because you're a woman, you know, you get to do these things better or anything like that. In fact, the last speech that I gave was one where I pointed out how many more women are graduating from college than men, how many more women are starting businesses than men. And all of the, the accomplishments that women were achieving over and above men in the marketplace at that time, and still are, there are still more women starting businesses than men, still more women graduating from college than men. And the women in the room, they were just like clapping and cheering. And I said, wait a minute, what have we done to our men? Why, why do you think that this is good news? And I went into a whole support of men. It's not about women. It's about people. And we can't emasculate our men as we want to rise to the top. That's not how this should work. If men and women are best, I think, as a partnership. And women can certainly do things on their own. And men can do things on their own. But I feel that we have emasculated our men and pushed them aside with this, you know, uh, whole, I'm sorry to say vagina hat movement, and that we don't need men. And I disagree completely. We need men, our children need men. And we have pushed them aside. That was the last speech I ever gave to a women's group, because they didn't invite me back after that. And I am perfectly fine with that. Because I believe in what I'm saying that we are all important. And I don't like the way men, women have pushed men aside to kind of trample on top of them to get what they want. I, I don't think that that does our children any good. I don't think it does anybody any good. Um, I, 
And I know that all three of us are married. All three of us have kids. I love my husband. I love my kids. And yet I'm a successful businesswoman. You can make all of those things work at the same time. You don't have to step on men to do that. And the other thing that I want to say, I will never forget Michelle Obama. When President Trump won the election, she said she was so disappointed in the women of America. I will never forget that when she said that I was so insulted. And on my radio show that evening, I reminded Michelle Obama that I don't vote with my uh, sex parts. I vote with my brain and my brain is not controlled by what sex I am. And, and I just, I just hate that attitude with the politician women uh, that, that we should all band together and, and do what they want us to do instead of thinking it out ourselves. Yeah, I think um, just to your first one, I just always, I tell this to my kids all the time, like no one and no group ever is empowered by disempowering another. Don't ever gain power by trying to strip others of theirs. That's a sign of weakness, not strength. And so, yeah, I mean, we could go on for hours about that being the critical flaw in the Me Too movement, which was never designed to empower women, but only to disempower men. And, and so generally as a rule, I just think that's bad for anybody. And, and it extends, of course, to every other identity politics category in this country now that's trying to do the same. Um, and I think also if these women's groups are really about women's empowerment, then um, they, they wouldn't show up the way they do. I mean, at least the ones I'm invited to, I'm not, I don't own a business, so I'm sure business groups are, are different. But, you know, if you look in the philanthropic world, women's, women's groups, women's um, committees, they are the kinds of things that would never exist in a man's realm. They wouldn't even dare to offer or speak to a group of men the way they do women. They wouldn't ask men to chair an event and be responsible for the decorations, right? They wouldn't, but that's what they always ask the women to do. They, they wouldn't, um, you know, sort of have events for women, for men talking about how they feel about certain issues. They would be talking about the issues. So I just have always found that, you know, under the guise of empowering women, they're literally playing into all the stereotypes and disempowering me in every way possible um, and sort of denying me the opportunity to engage with real issues and real people having real thoughts about real issues just by virtue of the fact that I look like the other people in the room. So, you know, but all that being said, um, you know, I'd say that First of all, it works, otherwise people wouldn't do it. It's profitable, it works, it draws people to your organization. And so that's why they do it. So I just sort of think that maybe if women just stopped participating and it stopped working, it would go away. Um, and I think on the political front, I, I, I'm, my sense is we haven't even scratched the surface yet because you know this sort of desperate need to have a female president, the first female president is still looming over everything. Um, and so I feel like it's going to get worse, not better. It's going to ramp up, not down. I, I, Republicans are playing the exact same gender ideology game when it comes to political candidates because they feel they have to kind of demonstrate their bona fides in that department because that's become the, the standard. Um, and I get why they're doing it. But at the end of the day, like, you know, 
if you, if you play a bad game, it's still a bad game. Even if you win, just don't think that we should all be talking about politics through um, identity politics lenses of any kind, including that of women. Well, I mean, that's the, it's almost like a, a, a bully mentality. Like women feel like they, I feel like the men are getting bullied in some sort, sort of like what Linda was talking about. And, you know, I kind of felt bad for my 21 year old son, who's so capable and so willing to work and so just, you know, hungry to get out there in the world and start working. And yet the, the deck is stacked so far against him because he's, he's just a white kid. He doesn't check any other box. He's just a white male from the Northeast. And, you know, I don't think that that's fair. And so I I think that it's across the board that, that people are feeling that. Why do we have to have a female president? If we don't have a qualified female running for president, why do we have to have a female president? Just pick the best person. It's it's no longer a meritocracy. And I think it's across the board when it comes to whether it's jobs or, or politics or education or whatever it is, it's no longer a meritocracy. And I, I think we need to get back to that. Yeah, I have this sort of fantasy that I know will never come true, but I just sort of wish there'd be one brilliant, incredible woman who was nominated for something or elected something or chosen for some position um, by someone who literally announced that they're going to only take women, right? Whether it's, you know, an investment bank or the president of the United States picking a Supreme Court justice, if there would just be one brave woman who would stand up, even if she were kind of qualified for the position and just say, you know what, I'm not accepting this. I won't take the position unless or until we start again and everybody is on the, you know, on the docket and I'm one of, you know, many, and you're going to choose me, not because I'm a woman, but because I'm the best. So no, thank you. Like imagine, I mean, I know it's never going to happen. It's such a silly thought, but wouldn't that be a great moment for just that one brave soul to come out and just say, no, no, thank you. I, I wonder if somebody like a Christine Noam would be uh, a possibility down the road. I mean, she seems to have a really good head on her shoulders a lot of leadership skills. She doesn't seem to be afraid or back down to anybody. And, and she's not, you know, yet, yet she's still feminine. She's not, um, she's not a Kamala Harris that speaks in word salads. She, she really um, knows what she's doing. And I, I, there are a few women out there that I think are possibilities for that first woman president, but uh, I pray you know, it's such a double-edged sword to have Joe Biden in office because you want him out because he's just messing up the country so bad. But yet if you got Kamala, that would probably be even worse. So, so that's, I mean, that's a mess. I, I want to ask both of you a quick question because uh, we only have a couple of minutes here in the segment. Do you think that the women that are marching around with the pink hats on in Washington, DC uh, are helping their cause, helping the women's cause, helping anything. Do you, do you think that that's what needs to be done? I personally am embarrassed for those women. 
Um, I absolutely do not think so. I don't think that they are furthering any cause whatsoever. I think they are, they're basically branding themselves as women and therefore they are entitled and deserve whatever it is that they're seeking out because they're women. And, you know, no, the answer is no. However, I feel like at least where I live, I am in the minority because I live in a very blue location, a very, and I, I know a lot of friends, I have a lot of friends that march and do those, those, you know, wear those hats and march in these women's marches and so forth. And I don't even, I'm not even sure that they know what they're doing, what they're marching for. Um, I just think it's almost like, it's like, I am woman, hear me roar thing. And they're just jumping on board with whatever they think they should be doing. I, I don't think it's doing anything for, for women or for causes. Yeah, I tend, I guess I also, I guess the answer to your question, Linda, really depends on what the goal is, right? And so I, I also just don't understand. I know some of the women that Elise is talking about, and I have friends like that too, who um, the imagined goal in my head for women in terms of equality seems clearly to have already been uh, uh, reached in America. So um, sort of like LGBT rights, it's the same in my head. It's like the the goal is, has actually been achieved, but the, um, the machine, the money-making machine around that goal can't die. So it has to manufacture some other anger and rage and reasons to push forward so that the donations keep coming in. And I think people get caught up and whipped up in the passions and the rhetoric. But like, if you actually had to lay out, like, what are the three policy positions that people with those hats on are kind of gunning for, I'm not sure they could tell you. So I think it's about what the goal actually is. And I'm not, I think the goal might just be to perpetuate, you know, the enrichment of the people who are at the top of that pyramid, um, making money off the scheme. Well, that could be, I just as a quick point uh, off air, we were talking about Matt Walsh's uh, documentary, what is a woman and some of the people that he went and asked what a woman is, were those people marching in Washington. And you'll be stunned when you see the documentary that they couldn't give him an answer as to what a woman is. Pretty sad to me. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Surely if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. So you can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. ladies, we were just talking about women's groups. And here's another woman who I'm a little bit insulted with. Uh, Republican Representative Liz Cheney 
says that her party, meaning Republicans, are still divided on whether it's the party of former President Donald Trump or not. She seems to believe that we are kind of a cult. If we follow President Trump, if we still listen to him, still want him reelected, still want him to remain in politics, that uh, there's a cult mentality with us. And I, I wish I could speak to her personally, because I really resent that. Um, I, as all of us here are, uh, I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I've, I'm a successful business owner, I have been in law enforcement, you know, I've got a pretty good pedigree. And I don't need to be told by Liz Cheney, that I have a cult mentality and can't think for myself. Uh, because I happen to think that President Trump did a wonderful job as president. And I resent the, uh, the, the false things that they did to him, the impeachments, the allegations, the lies. I resent all of that. And because she has really a bone to pick with him over comments he made about family members or about the Bushes or whatever it was, she really has a big problem with Donald Trump. I do not. And I resent being told that I am not smart enough to make my own decision uh, when I know that I am. Yeah, I, and I agree. And, but maybe I would even say it differently. I would say, I don't resent it because I, um, I don't give what she says much weight. So it's hard to resent. Um, I find it more fascinating. I think if I were a psychiatrist, maybe I could unpack this more intelligently, but sort of what is it about Liz Cheney or the many other people who do this, who establish for themselves some kind of moral authority, and then they start deciding what and who everyone else is around them based on that, you know, sort of authority that they've given themselves. No one else is given to them. So I don't know why she thinks she has the the right to kind of make these assessments of other people. It's also funny because, right, if people, I don't know, deprogramming people in cults never happens by somebody wagging their finger at you and saying you're in a cult. Like she's clearly not trying to kind of get people out of their mindset. She's really just sort of making a statement on her own behalf to elevate her own status within the circle that she cares about. But um, I don't know, I find people do this all the time and it's just sort of a, a basic lack of decency and kindness between people. That's what she's lacking, uh, you know, and personal insight. I just had a coffee with a a friend of mine. I I haven't seen him in 30 something years. We went to high school together and uh, we had this three hour sit down and it was sort of fun until he's, I guess he had read some of the things I'd written and he noted that I was conservative. And he said with all sincerity and honesty um, and with great moral authority, after 30 years of not talking to him, he decided that he knew me well enough to say to my face that Republicans are just don't care that much about people like the homeless and poor people and Democrats do. And I, I looked at him, I said, David, and there's a Harvard educated, really intelligent guy. I said, David, you know, that's a wild thing to say. I said, could we agree maybe that we, that all normal people, you know, care about poor people and homeless people, but maybe conservatives have one way of dealing with the issue legislatively. And you have a different way of dealing with it. You think governments should help. I think private charities help better, but I don't think that you're bad. You don't really think I'm bad. 
No, he said, I really do think Republicans just don't have that level of emotion. And I said, you know, the, it's sort of stunning your lack of humility and personal insight. And I, I would think that that would make you less caring than me, right? But it's funny that you can't see it and that you feel free. That was my point to say it to me. I would, if I felt that about you, I wouldn't have said it. <laughs> so I just think that strikes me as the thing. Why did Liz Cheney even feel the need to say that? What, there's something deeply lacking in her and there was some piece missing. I think Rebecca, I have to, I have to ask you, did you mention to him that the Democrat cities have the worst homeless problems and drug problems and crime problems? I, I mean, said, I said, you, your intentions, you may feel that you have these loftier, kinder intentions. I'm sure it doesn't feel that good to the poor person who's still poor or the homeless person who's still homeless, who's not getting any help. It's nice that you talk about it and say you care about these people, but if you're not doing things that actually help them, then I'm not really sure what that feeling is meant to, you know, mean to me. I, I don't find that kindness. I, I think that's just a refusal to face reality. But, you know, he just, um, I just, I just found it amazing that he felt that he could or should say those things to me, even if he felt them. They're wrong that he feels them, but it's extra wrong that he felt in a position to say it to me. And I think liberal ideology um, is, is built on the idea that they have the moral high ground. And so they, it's their obligation to tell us, the rest of us who are so morally corrupt, how wrong we are. That, that is definitely true. And I, I often kind of wonder where that started because my own parents are extremely liberal. And we are very different in our political leanings. And, you know, I, I listened to my mother talk about, you know, when she talk, whenever she mentions politics, you know, it's just so obvious that she would like spit venom against the Republican Party because she just thinks that they are the worst people that could ever, you know, evil, terrible people with no, no morals and don't, don't care about helping anybody except for themselves, enriching themselves. And I, I don't know where that came from. Is that something that's like from, could it be from another era, from another generation, you know, long before me, maybe, because I, I don't, I, I don't even relate to that. Um, but I will say, okay, and I, I do agree with with what we're talking about with Liz Cheney and what on earth, you know, what place does she have to say something like that? But Donald Trump turned around and called her a crazy lunatic. So why would he do that? Okay, like just ignore it and just just let her bury herself. Why? That's the one thing that bothers me about him is that he feels like he's got to get in there and just dig right back always. And like, sometimes I feel like if he would just, if he would just like close his mouth, let people bury themselves. I think that Liz Cheney would, would look a lot worse if he did that. So in some ways he does invite some of that. Um, and so I, I do see that, although I happen to be a, a Trump supporter and I happen to think he, he was an amazing president. And I do hope that we have a president just like him, if not him again, you know, in our next election, but the one thing if, that he could do, I think, to help the Republican Party and maybe to help his own popularity would be to not engage in that pettiness and, and you know, the same sorts of things that we're talking about so that, that the other side engages in. So that's, that's I don't know. I hope you guys don't, I, I, I'm 
wondering what you think about that. I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. I, I don't like Oh, the, like you say, the pettiness, it's unnecessary, but you know, it, it is, it is who he is. And I don't know that he's going to change. What, what I do know is that during his administration, this entire country, including the people of color, including the poor were better off than they are under this current president. And that's, that's all that I need to know. I, I don't want to get into all their petty barbs. Um, I think that that Liz Cheney is going to be out of office. She's something like 30 points behind uh, the, the, the woman who is running against her, who is Trump supported. And, you know, I, th I think that Liz Cheney is going to kind of get her comeuppance because I, I, she is on a witch hunt for sure. And the thing about the January 6th committee, as an aside, in my opinion, is that they, they don't look at everybody who caused problems on January 6th. They only look at the conservatives who they want to point to. But the people that they have in videos that are said to be part of the FBI, that are said to be instigators that were set up to do that, those people have not been prosecuted. Those people are not sitting in jail. So I have no credibility whatsoever for that entire committee. I, I think that is nothing but another witch hunt um, and, and just has no credibility unless you're going to look at all sides and they're not. No question about that. I mean, that January 6th commission is a joke. You know, that's just that it, that's just a manufactured, another manufactured effort to just try to bury Trump, you know, and I, I, I think anybody with half a brain gets that other than maybe, you know, the liberal, the liberal people, but um, who are so far, who are so behind that, but that January 6th commission, as much as they want to tell Trump to, you know, stop talking about the 2020 election and move on from that. These people need to move on from this January 6th thing. It's just, it's old, it's boring, and it's just a ploy to try to, you know, get Trump out of running again. Yeah, I, 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 the January 6th thing, I think is, it is a joke, at least Alyssa, in that sense that it's just not um, honest and not real, but it, it's so tragic, isn't it? That people have been, you know, denied due process and sitting in jail cells. I mean, it's nothing funny about it, right? The, the degree to which um, power can be abused to attack your political opponents, this should be happening in, in this kind of country. So, and that, Liz Cheney not only sort of participates in it, but like eagerly, excitedly participates in it. Um, you know, I, I think it should disqualify her from having any moral authority over anybody else. I'm interested, Linda, to hear you say that she's 30 points behind. I didn't know that. Um, and last I had sort of peeped into this a while ago, I thought she was doing well and was very well funded. So I'm happy to hear that, you know, she might get booted. Um, but I think that the harm that she's doing on the January 6th commission until that time is just, is, is sort of irreversible. She is very well-funded. Uh, she got a lot of money and from people that, you know, are, are really on the other side from, from her, but she's taken the money, but she did get a lot of money in, but I don't think that it's helped. I think that 
uh, right now she's, she is behind. So we'll see what happens because the Wyoming primary is not until August 16th. And as you know, I mean, things change daily in politics. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see also what happens with her, but my, my sense is that the party is not going to rally around her. I think that she is, um, I don't know. I, I think she could be <clears throat> damaging for the Republican Party because she is, I hate to say this, because she is so against Trump. Um, but the party does seem to be sort of, um, you know, sort of going towards the Trump back candidates. Um, I'm not sure yet. I'm still kind of interested to watch and see if if that really is you know, an indicator of what's coming in the, in the, you know, the presidential election um, and how strong Trump really is. And I, you know, I am mixed on whether or not I feel like Trump should run again. I mean, I would be thrilled if he was president again, but I only say that because I'm not sure if he can get elected again. I think that he is so divisive that, you know, it could cause such an uproar and I'm not sure if he's, if he's electable again. Hmm. That's really interesting. I just having gone to the American freedom tour and uh, seeing president Trump and a lot of other people there, I, you know, it was a whole different thing than a rally and it was conversational and there were thousands of people there. I have to say that there was not a protester. There was not uh, a bad word spoken. It was such a cohesive group of people. It was a pleasure to be there. And I, a lot of people still have his back and, and I'm one of them. There are other people that I would absolutely vote for if, if he was not the nominee. There definitely are people that I would vote for. My instinct is right now that this is just my opinion. I have no inside information is that President Trump will run and that Mike Pompeo will be his second on the ticket. That is my opinion, but I have, I have no knowledge of that. But Mike Pompeo also spoke. What a wonderful man he is. What a common sense, uh, smart guy. What I love about both of these men, they can make decisions. You know, they're, they're, this administration is behind every decision that needs to be made. I mean, way behind the baby formula, Afghanistan, uh, the, the fuel crisis, you name it, they're inflation, they're way behind. And these guys get out in front of something and they handle it. And I love that. So I, I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm, I'm sick of all of these witch hunts that, that we've been on. And I agree with you, Elisa, it, he would be divisive because there's a portion of the country that hate President Trump. I, I can't figure that out, honestly. I just can't figure it out. But that being said, uh, he was good for America. And he well, was good hate. for the world. The whole world is suffering because 100%. we are. But they hate him because he beat Hillary. That's That was the start of the whole thing. But that being said, and I'm kind of going back to our women's conversation do you think he needs a woman on the ticket with him? I don't think I always, so. I think he needs I, the right person. Rebecca, what do you think? Yeah, I always, I just love this conversation. We talk about it all the time with my friends. 
assuming he runs, assuming he wins the primary, let's say that happens, who would run? Who would be his VP? Who would take that risk? Who would who would he even have to choose from? If he assuming that that he wins the primary, that means he's knocked out people like Pompeo and DeSantis and Haley, and he's not knocked them out with charm and eloquence, right? That's not the Donald Trump that we know and love. He will have assigned nicknames to them and attack them viciously. I can't, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll say, oh, well, that was then and this is now. But can you imagine one of them then becoming his VP? I, who is even in the running for that job? He's going to have to pick like, you know, one of the doormen from the Trump Tower or something. I just don't know politically who would fit into that spot perfectly. Whether it's a man or a woman, I just find the whole thing interesting to game out. My assumption is that he's he's conversational with DeSantis and with Pompeo and with with other people, um, maybe not so much with um, his vice president, who I'm sure will be running against him if, you know, if if Trump runs. But I, I think that some of these people will not run if he decides to run. They've already said that. So. I, I think that there are things in the works, but I, I think that that President Trump is, you know, he, he's thoughtful of his age and he understands that at any time at his age that something can go wrong. So he's he's waiting until, first of all, till the 2022 elections, that's first. And then he wants to make sure that he is physically, mentally, capable of, you know, doing the job again, and, and then he will make his decision. So, and the people that, that say that Melania will never support it. I disagree. I think she will totally support him. Oh, I do too. I agree with that. I think she will, she'll, she'll, of course she will. No question. But I know Rebecca, I, I thought the same thing. I was like, okay, when he comes out and starts, you know, trashing Nikki Haley, is she going to now all of a sudden turn around and say, okay, I'll be your vice president. But listen, that's what Kamala Harris did. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, what won't Kamala Harris do? Um, no, but Linda makes the right point. I think, right. People like Nikki Haley, I've heard her say she's, if, if he runs, she wouldn't run against him. And I don't think DeSantis would either, actually, because the base then would be split and he is young and can wait. Pompeo, I believe, has said he will, um, which is interesting. Um, I don't know. And, you know, frankly, I also sort of like the job he did and would be happy if he were still the president. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I think the campaign, the months of the campaign, if he is the nominee, will just be a horror show. I don't know how we're all going to survive. I, I don't. I will not be able to turn on the news. I can take a lot. I kind of loved all the drama the first time around, all the drama that everyone hated. I kind of found entertaining. I don't think it would be entertaining this time at all, and I don't think I have the nerve for it. Well, ladies, that's a wrap. One more step for womankind. 